welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. You can turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, and as you do, I'm going to read One other passage as we prepare for our text today. Uh, This is going to be from Luke chapter 16, a very familiar parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And Jesus' ministry now, it's coming full circle, coming full circle. Uh, What he preached during his earthly ministry is now coming to complete fruition, as we will see in the... uh, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. I'm just going to read the, the end of it. If you're familiar with the parable, there were a rich man and then a poor man who died. The rich man was suffering in, uh, in Hades and uh, wanted uh, Abraham to send Lazarus to go warn his brothers. Warn them not to come to this place. The suffering is too great. This is how it played out. The man said, Then I beg you, Father Abraham, that you send him to my father's house, meaning Lazarus, send him there, for I have five brothers, in order that they may warn them, or that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, listen to this, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. What do we have in our passage today? Christ has risen from the dead, and yet... They still do not believe. Where do you think Jesus is going to point them? Moses and the prophets. He's going to redirect them to believe Moses and the prophets. We are in Luke chapter 24, as I said earlier. And we are nearing our conclusion uh, through this study, through the Gospel of Luke. Wonderful, incredible study it has been. For the benefit of those who weren't able to be with us last week, I'll offer a little bit of background before we pick up where we left off at verse 25. Our passage is the the famous road to Emmaus, where the resurrected Christ has appeared uh, so as to dialogue with two men walking along the road. Last week in verses 13 through 25, we discovered uh, that these two, one of them named Cleopas, Uh, These two both possess large amounts of information about Jesus. Lots of information about him, uh, that he had been resurrected from the dead. Uh, Only hours earlier we know this is the same day Christ was resurrected, but they did not recognize Jesus. They thought Jesus was Israel's Messiah. They confess he was mighty in word and deed, They know Jesus was crucified. They know that he died. They know that he was buried. They've even heard reports that he had been raised from the dead. The women had gotten reports from an angel. They said, we've even heard that he rose from the dead. So they they possess an enormous quantity of information. Add to that the Old Testament Scriptures, Moses and the Prophets, is often how it's referred to, the the Old Testament. They knew that he must suffer and die according to Isaiah 53. They should have known he was bearing the weight of all of their sins, their iniquities. But they can't put the pieces together. They cannot assemble the pieces together. They can't understand why these events have all happened. Verse 16 says that their eyes are prevented from recognizing Jesus, even as he walks along the road beside them. So we see sovereignty there. Um, 
We learned last week their diagnosis is spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. What they need, they don't need more information as we discussed last week. What they need is for their hearts and their minds to be opened so that they can understand the information that they already possess. They need their hearts opened like Lydia so that they can see uh, who Jesus truly is. And as we saw during our scripture reading with uh, Lydia, only God can open a heart to respond to divine revelation. Only God can do that. Humans do not control spiritual conversion. It is outside of our control. Uh, John 3 assures you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And the Spirit, like a wind, blows where He wishes. You hear the sound of it, uh, uh, but you cannot see it. And, And so we are told, so is everyone who is born of the Holy Spirit. This is the way it works for everyone. So, of the numerous women the Apostle Paul addressed down by the river, Lydia is the one whom God opened her heart to respond. God chose her. God chose her. Is that fair? Well, in Romans chapter 9, God declares this, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who strives, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then, Romans says again, God has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. Romans assures that opening the heart of Lydia, it's not a strange anomaly. It wasn't an accident. Old Testament and New, uh, Scripture declares it is how God saves every single time. He is sovereign over the human heart. Folks, that just, that just throws a broomstick into the front wheel of any notion that God won't interfere with the, with the free will. You, you just don't find that principle in Scripture at all. Scripture is abundantly clear. The exact opposite, the exact opposite is actually true. Because in the natural fallen state, the natural man, he cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. Uh, And no one seeks after God, Romans 3 verse 10 tells us. No, not even one. Not even one seeks after God. Uh, We are dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians tells us. But he made us alive. He made us alive. So like the pattern provided with Lydia, these two men on the road to Emmaus, they need their hearts opened as well. They need their hearts opened, their minds opened. They already possess, as we saw last week in this, in this uh, narrative, they already possess sufficient information, verified by the facts that they recite it all back to Jesus. They recite all the information back to him. What they lack is spiritual regeneration of the heart that would enable them to believe and to respond to the information that they already possess. They already have all the information. So the question I want to clarify today, looking at this passage is, what should be then our trusted or our default method of evangelism? What should be our trusted method of evangelism? I've titled this message, Evangelism According to Jesus. Evangelism According to Jesus. Since you and I are clearly not sovereign, but we rely upon God to open hearts to respond to the things we speak to them, what role has God delegated to us? What what has he left for us to do? Because there there exists a whole lot of different different ideas out there uh, about how people get saved. You know, last week I shared a story 
of how one of my family members was prompted to you know, come to the front of the church and walk through a, a Christmas arbor. It was a decorated arbor uh, all for Christmas and, and without any direct reference to sin nor any call to repentance, no direct call to repentance. As people came to the front of the church and walked through the arbor, the pastor then declared each of them saved as they passed through the arbor. Folks, in, pa- uh, in our passage found in Luke chapter 24, we don't see an arbor. We don't find an arbor. We, we don't find a prescription for a sinner's prayer. Though sinners who receive Jesus Christ as Savior often pray. But we don't find a prescription for that. We don't even observe any form of altar call here at all. You don't find, actually you don't find an altar call anywhere in the New Testament doesn't exist in the New Testament. In fact, the altar call concept, many are probably already aware of this, it wasn't uh, formulated or some might say invented until around the year 1850 A.D. by a man called Charles Finney. You might have heard of him before. That was kind of his concoction that he came up with and it caught a lot of traction. But we don't see that in this passage either. By contrast, the evangelistic method that we see by Jesus in Luke chapter 24 is the same approach that we see repeatedly throughout the Bible, and it reveals how people actually get saved. Folks, this really needs to affect our evangelism. This passage really needs to affect our evangelism method, our tactics, if we hope to witness Genuine conversions. Genuine conversions of people to Jesus Christ. Uh, This passage contains evangelism according to Jesus. I'm going to begin reading from verse 25. Jesus said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken... Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, Jesus explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going further. Uh, But they urged him, saying, Stay with us. For it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So Jesus went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us? While he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us. And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found, uh, gathered together the eleven, the remaining eleven apostles, and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. You know, all of us who are Christian here today, all of us have a story about how we got saved. If you're a Christian, you have a story. It's usually referred to as a conversion testimony. It's often given before... A person is baptized. They will relate their conversion story and how they got saved. This is a short story of how I got saved, they will say. Um, each, each Christian has their own. I've got mine. You've got yours, if you're a Christian. But no one's story is more important than any other person's conversion story. These two men... They happened to have their hearts open to recognize Jesus while he was in the process of breaking bread. Okay, But the breaking of the bread itself is not an essential element of evangelism. 
We can know this for sure because the breaking of bread is not present during any of the other New Testament conversions of saints that are recorded in the Bible. The breaking of bread, therefore, is not essential. But it was a part of their conversion story, admittedly, right? But it's not essential for conversion. My wife and I had our hearts opened by God while, while listening to preaching on the radio. It was radio preaching. There's nothing essential about hearing the gospel on the radio. You don't have to have a transistor radio in order to be saved any more than I needed to watch somebody breaking bread. More than one here may have been converted at a gospel crusade of one kind or another. That, that's a glory, a glory to God. I'm sure that is very special to those individuals. But I didn't need your gospel crusade any more than you needed my radio, nor did any of us have to watch someone break bread. You follow me? Why? Because none of these are essential to spiritual conversion. They're only incidental to our experience of trusting in Christ. They're merely incidental. It's just, it's just how it happened, our experience of being saved. And, and there's nothing wrong with conversion stories. Nothing inherently wrong with conversion stories unless we begin to make the incidentals of our own story essential for everybody else in order to get saved. Because once the incidentals usurp that which is essential, now you've created a serious problem. At that point, when, when we say our own conversion story, my conversion story, is the only way that everybody is supposed to get saved, thus we have at that point established a legalistic tradition. A legalistic tradition. It's one of the reasons that we're not an altar call church. Here we're, we're not an altar call church. Because often, once you get into one of those types of churches who are, and that's their business, not ours, but often once you get into one of those types of churches where, where the coming forward becomes the only way that anybody really gets saved the right way. You know what I'm saying? You've heard that before. That's the only way anybody can really get saved the right way. The things which are merely incidental begin to overshadow that which God has declared is essential. We need to identify what Scripture establishes as crucial for spiritual conversion so that these essentials do not get left behind in the dust of incidentals. And that which is essential, it isn't too hard to identify in our passage today. In fact, it isn't too hard to identify throughout the rest of the Bible as well. So how do these two men get converted? How do they get converted? They already possess all the right information before Jesus appears on the road. But Jesus says in verse 25, O foolish man and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? So although the prophets had for centuries clearly indicated that Christ had to suffer and die, these men still could not understand why. In fact, in verse 17, it says that they stood there next to Jesus looking sad. They're really sad that Jesus had died. So they had heard what the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah uh, chapter 53 had said about the Christ, but they remain spiritually blind. They're just blind. They can't understand it. They can't see how all the information fits together. And that is because the natural man understands not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are spiritually discerned. You, you must receive the Holy Spirit in order to understand what you have been told. Uh, but these men right now remain dead in their sins. They're spiritually deaf. They are spiritually blind to the truth that they've already recited. 
They lack spiritual regeneration. They lack understanding. They must be born again. That's the only hope. They must be born again. And folks, this is, this is the spiritual condition, regardless of what the age is. This is the spiritual condition of everyone that we, every unbeliever that we encounter. When Paul walked down by the river, all those women by the river, they were lacking the same thing. The unsaved amongst our youth, all lacking the same thing. Your neighbor across the street, who is an unbeliever, lacks the same thing. They need the Holy Spirit to understand the truth and trust in Christ. Similar to our unbelieving neighbors and many of our own children, when Paul approaches Lydia and and the others down by the river, Paul has no idea whatsoever which one of them might be convicted of their sins, which one is being convicted by their sins, or who amongst them might be open to the Word of God. Apostle Paul has no idea which one of them may, uh, or how many of them might. Uh, This is one reason that Paul makes this request of the church in Colossae. He says, pray for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the Word, and that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. So there in Colossians 4 verse 3, Paul didn't even so much as ask for prayer for specific individuals, but, but just pray for an open door for the Word of God. I, I did that this morning. I prayed there would be an open door here for the Word of God that someone might respond to the truth about Christ. We should be praying that all the time. A good opportunity to speak forth the Word of God. And Paul found that open door down uh, by the river near a city of Philippi, a, a city in Macedonia, and Lydia then becomes the first convert in Europe. She's the first one to respond. It's, it's famously referred to, as I said earlier at the scripture reading, this is referred to as the Macedonian call. And Paul says, When I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit. Not finding Titus my brother, but taking leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul told Corinth, But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia For I am going through Macedonia, for a wide door of effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. A wide door had opened in Macedonia for what? It was a door that had opened for the Word of God. That's what Paul was praying for, an open door for the Word of God. Would you like to see what that open door for the Word of God looks like? Just nod your heads, yes. Have you ever heard of Berea? A city named Berea. The Bereans lived there. Berea was another city in Macedonia. Another city we see in Acts chapter 17, verse 10, where it says, Paul and Silas went into the synagogue of the Jews there, Uh, Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. For they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether the things Paul was speaking to them were so. Therefore, it says, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. Folks, that was an open door to the Word of God. What was Paul's method of evangelism in Macedonia? Very clearly, he and Silas relied on teaching the Scriptures. Teaching the Scriptures. Moses and the prophets. The Old Testament is all they had at that time. The Scriptures were the Old Testament and the prophets. They relied on teaching them while explaining 
what they, re- what they reveal about Christ. And Scripture says that the Bereans, they were examining the Scriptures along with Paul and Silas to see if what Paul and Silas were telling them was true. So Paul and Silas were explaining the Scriptures and what the Scriptures said about Christ. And it says, A great many people, a great many people, both men and women, were being saved. It's through the Scriptures. It's through the Scriptures. Where do you think Paul and Silas might have learned this method, learned this approach of explaining the Scriptures. Do you think they just, you know, kind of dreamed it up on their own? They're out on a mission and they're like, well, I don't really know what we should do. You think, you think we could think of something to do? Maybe build an arbor, right? Let's put an arbor up and have people walk through it. Maybe people get saved that way. No. Paul received this method directly from Christ. Directly from Christ. Look back at Luke chapter 24, verse 27. On the road to Emmaus, it says that Christ, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, Jesus explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Absolutely stunning. That's the process of evangelism. It appears Paul, well, according to Paul and according to Jesus both, Their preferred style of evangelism is explaining the Scriptures. Explaining the Scriptures. What what a novel idea. Do you think we might find that same pattern used elsewhere in Scripture? Have you ever heard of Philip the Evangelist? Philip the Evangelist, that's right. Acts 21 verse 8 actually refers to someone as the evangelist. Might be a good place for us to look. I wonder if an evangelist would try a, a different approach. Maybe try an arbor or something like that. Fortunately, Scripture tells us what approach Philip used. And in Acts chapter 8, we see a record of Philip's encounter with an Ethiopian eunuch. Ethiopian eunuch. A eunuch was a, a court official. That's all you need to know for now if you're a young person. You don't need to know anything more at this time. We'll get back to you in a while, a few years. Or you could ask mom and dad on the way home. <laughs> ask them. See if, yeah, poise that question to them. But for our purposes, he was an ofi- a court official from Ethiopia. And eunuch, uh, this eunuch was reading from the prophet Isaiah. And in verse 30, Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And the eunuch said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him in the chariot. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this, He was led as a sheep to slaughter, And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. And then we are told that the Ethiopian makes this request of Philip. He says this, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? And Scripture says next that, you know, Philip opened his mouth and and started sharing his own personal experience about how he came to know Jesus. No. No, no, Philip began to share how he heard Jesus preached on the radio. And that was the right way to get saved, and he handed the Ethiopian eunuch a transistor radio. No. Not at all. Philip did not draw attention to himself or his personal experience at all. What did Philip, the evangelist, do? Well, he did exactly what Paul and Jesus do. Scripture says that Philip opened his mouth and began began from that scripture of Isaiah, he preached Jesus to the eunuch. Preached Jesus to the eunuch. Passage tells us that eunuch got saved. 
Preaching Jesus from the Scriptures. Folks, a major, a major clarification is needed in Christ's church. Major clarification. What does the regeneration of the heart, what does the regeneration of the heart hinge upon? What does God use to convert a soul? What is the power behind evangelism? What is really the power behind it? And the answer is spiritual regeneration rests solely in the proclamation and the explanation of Christ in all the scriptures. That is it. That is all the heart hinges upon and God's Holy Spirit opening it to respond. It is what the it is the approach the apostle Peter used. 1 Peter 1 verse 23 Peter writes You have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. That's how you're born again, says Peter. James, the Lord's brother, wrote this. In an exercise of God's will, again, it's God's will. In an exercise of God's will, he brought us forth. That term, brought us forth, means to give birth. In an exercise of God's will, He gave birth to us through, James says, the word of truth. That's how you're born again. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, The word of God is living and active, able to divide down to the joints and the marrow, exposing our conscience. That's what the word of God does. Yet the Ethiopian asks, How can I understand unless somebody guides me? (laughs) And exactly as Paul did repeatedly in Macedonia, Philip the evangelist guided that Ethiopian into an understanding of the Scriptures. Folks, they are the words of eternal life. The Scripture is the words of eternal life. Jesus says they testify about me. And this is the reason that Jesus himself, Jesus himself explains the scriptures about himself on that road to Emmaus. In John 5 verse 39, Jesus told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. That is a true statement. Jesus doesn't tell them that the scriptures do not provide eternal life. That's not what Jesus says. Because The Scriptures actually do grant eternal life by the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is telling them is this. It's that these testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. That was the Pharisees' problem. It wasn't that the Scriptures don't give life. It's that they were unwilling to come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to have life. That's what you've got to do. The Pharisees had a critical flaw. They did not see Jesus in the Scripture, and therefore they did not have life. Folks, our focus on evangelism, in evangelism, it's always got to remain proclaiming what the Scriptures teach about Christ got to remain there. There's no other way that anybody can be saved. You might say, why are you concerned about this? Pastor, why are you agitated? What what concerns you? What's, What's the problem? Don't we always practice that? No, we don't. No, we don't. Often we make evangelism about the individual. We make evangelism about you We make evangelism about me. We talk about what this can do for you. What would you like it to do for you? We package the gospel in all kinds of ways that don't explain the scriptures. 
make it easy to digest because we don't really want to tell people the truth about how they are dead in sins and they must trust in Christ alone and believe that he bore our sins in his body on the cross. People don't want to talk about that. One of the biggest errors in evangelicalism is this. Here it is, I'll go ahead and say it. One of the biggest errors in evangelicalism today is this, that your personal testimony, the incidentals about how you got saved, those things that kind of surrounded your conversion, is one of the most powerful tools for evangelism. I don't know how many times I've heard that over the years. You know, pastors will say, you need to practice your personal testimony. It's about you. You know it better than anybody else. And it's so important to explain your personal testimony to others. No, it's not. No, it's not. Elevating a personal experience over the Scriptures, over scriptural revelation, that's a grievous inversion. It's an inversion of priorities. And folks, we really need to get over ourselves. We, we really do. I've done this. I'm no different than, than everybody else here. I've, I've, I've read books on how to evangelize. I've gone through classes, as you have as well. And, and I've done this. And when I've shared my conversion story, you know, about how I was listening to Woodrow Kroll on the radio and, you know, all these other different things about me and how it, how it helped me and how I felt better afterwards and, and my emotions and how it can help your emotions and everything too. You know what you always hear? You've heard it. I know you've heard it. People say, you know, they, how, you know how they respond to your personal story? Oh, that's really good for you. That's how they respond. Almost all of that's really good for you. I'm glad that that worked out so nice for you. Bye. People love talking about themselves. We all love talking about ourselves. But there's no power in it. There's no power in it. And we don't see drawing attention to self as an evangelism method by Paul or Philip or Peter or James or Jesus or any other place in Scripture that I'm aware of. Evangelism is not a discussion about how the incidentals how they came through the breaking of bread or, or through listening to the radio or, or anything else. Evangelism, according to Jesus, is explaining the Scriptures and what they teach us about Him. Evangelism is all about Him. They alone are the words of eternal life. The divine power of spiritual conversion is manifest only in the proclamation and the explanation of the Scriptures. For in 2 Timothy 3, verse 15, Paul told Timothy this, you'll like this one, From childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation now don't worry, Timothy being a child, when he was hearing those scriptures, it's only incidental. You don't have to be a child to get saved, it's just part of his story. Don't worry, the scripture is clear that old people can get saved too. That's fine. In fact, most conversions in scripture that we see are adults. Most are adults. The children, as we would see in Lydia, if I would have gone one verse further, the children, the household, are usually influenced by the parents. That's quite a responsibility you have, folks. Quite a responsibility, an awesome responsibility. You are a huge influence to your children coming to know Christ. This is why Paul declares to Timothy immediately, this emphasis on the word, immediately after explaining that the Scriptures, the sacred writings, give the wisdom that leads to salvation, Paul then says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, preach the Word. Preach the Word. And in 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul commands the church, 
give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Take pains with these things. Listen to this. Be absorbed in them. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do, uh, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. That's what it's about. Preaching and teaching the Scriptures. Scripture alone gives eternal life. Folks, that's why we are a Bible church. We always point to the Scriptures. And 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5 says, We do not preach ourselves, but Christ. We preach Christ. That's a pretty good slogan. We should put that somewhere. We preach Christ, not ourselves. Why? Because as the eunuch asked, how can I understand unless somebody guides me? Folks, remember that with your children. Remember that with your children. Especially those who are unsaved or you're unsure whether or not they're saved. Don't lock them in their room alone. Tell them to read the Bible on their own. Don't give them resources just for them to muddle through if they're unsaved. Inspect them to figure it out on their own. They can't. They've got to be taught. Most of the time, uh, the WANA books have some great information in them. Some great information. But most of the time when our youth recite the lessons in AWANA, and then we ask them, or we often, as often as we can, we ask them, that's really good, you recited that perfectly. Now can you tell me what that means? Most of the time, what do they say? I don't have a clue. We have to explain to them the Scriptures. Unsaved children cannot self-teach. Scripture declares it's impossible. Folks, be involved with your kids. That's why we offer Sunday school, children's church, kids' choir, children's ministries, so that mature Christians can help guide our children into an understanding of everything they need to know about Jesus from the Scripture. And this is what Paul and, and Philip and Jesus model for adults as well. Adults need the same guidance. Luke 24, verse 27 says then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, Jesus explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And as Jesus did so, verse 31 says, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? See, their hearts weren't converted through the incidental breaking of bread. It was during the explanation of the scriptures. Folks, how can we know that it's not bread, wasn't the bread? It's because you scroll down to verse 42 if you've got your Bible open. That's a passage we'll study next time. It just so happens that Jesus opens their eyes while he ate fish. So is it, in, is it in the breaking of bread? Or is it in the eating of fish? Or is it listening to the radio? The answer is it doesn't have to be with any of those. Look at verse 44. A couple of verses down. He's with the apostles now. This is the next passage we'll study next time. Look at verse 44 where it says, Once again, now with the eleven. This is so there's left no confusion whatsoever with what Jesus is doing here. It says, Jesus explained, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to, say it with me, understand the Scriptures. Open their minds. Opening the heart. Greek thought, the mind, the heart was the thinking center. It's the same thing. It's 
the same thing. He opened their minds, opened the heart with Lydia, opened their eyes to recognize Jesus. It all describes the same divine work of conversion, a work that God, uh, a work of God that happens only through the proclamation and the explanation of the scriptures. There exists no other way to get saved. We are born again by the word of truth. Just a few caveats as we close. These will be brief. The two men on the road to Emmaus, did they need more information? No. no. They had recited all the elements of the gospel to Jesus just moments earlier. That he had died, that he had been buried, that he had raised again, that he had been seen by people. Uh, just like those of us who grew up memorizing like the Nicene Creed, all those elements of the gospel present in there, many of us memorized that as a youth. Uh, most, many of us have possessed all the information needed for salvation for decades before our spiritual conversion actually happened. Jesus is sovereign God of the universe. Scripture says, in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus is God. With the information these two men already possessed, Jesus could have opened their heart to respond just like he did with Lydia. Why then, on the road to Emmaus, why does it emphasize how Jesus took the time to explain the Scriptures so that their eyes would be opened? It's because that's the pattern He wanted to leave for us. Jesus didn't have to do They already had the information. He could have opened their eyes. But He wanted to model for us evangelism as He sees it if we ourselves expect for eyes to be opened. It is no no coincidence, uh, by the way, that the Great Commission is coming up next. Two weeks, two, two uh, sermons from now. Today it's a road to Emmaus. The next time will be the same process with the eleven. After Jesus has shown how eyes are opened, he's then going to give them the great commission before his ascension. That's where we're going in the subsequent studies from now. Jesus is leaving behind the pattern of evangelism for the purpose of the great commission that he's going to give them in just a few sentences. Second, once people possess the essential truths of the gospel, they they might be saved through preaching any part of the scriptures. You know, to go to my experience, quote-unquote experience, uh, of getting saved while listening to the radio, uh, my incidentals, they don't have to match yours, I had already possessed the elements of the, the gospel for decades before I got saved. I had grown up reciting verses and, and uh, memorizing the books of the, Bibles, uh, the Bible and uh, all of those things for years before I ever got saved. What I needed was for God to open my heart and turn the lights on. God did that for me through a message explaining the exodus out of Egypt and how through Moses God parted the Red Sea so that Israel could walk through on the promised land uh, to the promised land on dry ground. That was the passage being explained to me uh, when the Lord opened my heart to respond. And, and, and to believe all the scriptures. By the way, parting the Red Sea, uh, creating the earth, the six-day creation, all these different things in the Old Testament that seem hard for some to understand or to believe, parting of the Red Sea is not more difficult for God than raising Jesus from the dead. If you will not believe Moses and the prophets... Neither will you believe if God raises someone from the dead. Right? It's a package deal. Once you trust that Christ has been raised, everything else opens up in the Scriptures. We believe the Scriptures. Third, another blessing to understand of this understanding of evangelism is how we Christians are sanctified through the identical process. Explaining the Scriptures. Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, right? So as we teach the Bible, Christians are being sanctified 
at the same time, in the same process, that you can be saved. Same process, explaining the Scriptures. So pastors don't have to decide which mode they're going to be in next Sunday. Well, I wonder if I should be in evangelism mode, or I wonder if I should be in uh, discipleship-making mode. It's all the same mode. It's explaining the Scriptures. Uh, Whether you're pursuing Uh, Whether we as pastors or teachers are pursuing your salvation or whether we are pursuing your sanctification, it's basically the same preaching mode. Preaching the word is evangelism. And last but not least, the incidentals of your testimony, how you got saved, that's a wonderful story. It has value. People will want to hear it, and um, it can be an encouragement to other Christians. We play testimonies before baptism. You might weave it into discussing Christ in the Scriptures as you witness to people. It isn't forbidden fruit. It's a wonderful thing that each of us got saved. Let's just remind ourselves what converts the soul, okay? And then, and then tell people about the wonderful things that God has done for you. Uh, I'm not what I once was. If you're truly a Christian, you're not either. You're not what you once were. And we each have an amazing story. But I'm not going to stand up here and tell you about my story because it's we have a short time each week. We have a short time each week and our stories are just not on par with Scripture. And my story is not more important than your story. The incidentals of how one person got saved is not the one and only way that everybody has to be saved. Okay? Every Christian has been saved in the exact same way. Our hearts were opened as someone was explaining to us Jesus through the Scriptures. Let's pray. Father, here we are, again, marveling at the power in your word, as you have uh, for nearly 2,000 years now uh, used it to build your your body, Christ's church. Father, as you redeem souls through the proclamation that we are sinners, that we have offended you in in so many ways, Lord, that we deserve uh, death, that we deserve hell. And Father, yet when we read through the Scriptures and look at what You've done for us through Jesus Christ, Your one and only Son, we see that He lived that life that is pleasing to You, that He was willing to hang on a cross, to suffer, to die, to be buried. Then You made Him alive again. Lord, that's power. That's power. We pray Uh, Here right now, if there's anyone who has not trusted in Christ or believed that He is the Messiah whom You sent, Lord, we would beg of the Holy Spirit that they would be made alive today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.